Hey church, Pastor Zach here. Want to welcome you. Wish we could be with you. My family and I are on some vacation, just taking some time to get refreshed and pull away here at the beginning of the year. We'll be back with you on December 24th at our Christmas Eve service. On Christmas Eve, I want to remind you that we won't be having our normal morning services. We'll be having Christmas Eve services in the evening at 4 and 5.30, so you can invite your family that are in town, you can invite friends, you can invite neighbors to come. It'll be a great time to sing some classic Christmas songs, to hear more about Jesus and the meaning of Christmas. We're gonna clearly share the gospel and really just enjoy the meaning of Christmas together. And then on December the 31st, we'll have our annual Sabbath Sunday, where as a church, we just kind of take time to slow things down, to rest, to enjoy God, to enjoy one another. And then we'll be back uh, at the beginning of 2018. Can't believe it's already 2018. We'll be back at the beginning of 2018, ready to start the year strong. One of the big things that we're doing this December that I want to invite you into is our Christmas offering. We realize that we've been blessed by God in order to be a blessing. And this December, we want to raise some money for some really amazing ministries that are happening both in our church and in our city. We wanna go above and beyond our normal kind of operating budget, our normal tithes and offerings. We wanna invite every man, woman, and child to participate in this Christmas offering. You're gonna hear more about how we're doing that in just a minute, but I just wanna highlight what the money is going to. We're raising money for Austin Street Homeless Center, where they work with, uh, it's one of the largest homeless shelters in Dallas, and we've been a ministry partner of theirs for years. So we're raising some money to strengthen their programs. We're raising some money for another one of our ministry partners, Forerunner Mentoring, where they invest in at-risk kids that live in our neighborhood. And we are providing, we're raising money to provide scholarships for their kids to go to summer camp, a great Christian summer camp. This coming summer in 2018, we're hoping to provide scholarships for all of their kids that would wanna go. Additionally, we are raising money to fund our training school for the spring of 2018, where we invest in leaders who go out to saturate Dallas with the goodness of the gospel. And we're raising some money to finish out our children's ministry area to get it, we've, as we moved in the building, to finish out a few last developments that we need. Again, we'd love to invite you to participate. There'll be giving days on December the 17th, December the 31st, and January the 8th. Love you guys, and we'll be excited to be with you on the 24th. We are doing a series called Christmas Lights, and we are taking some time to look at passages in Isaiah about um, these prophecies that are foretelling the coming of Jesus and the um, helping us to know the richness and the depths of what actually we're celebrating on Christmas by looking at these prophecies. Uh, and even just thinking about um, this time of year, I was thinking about when I was uh, working my first job, which was, uh, I was a cubicle worker, great first job, but it was one of those where uh, you, at this time of year, would leave in the morning and barely catch a little bit of the sunrise, and then you'd work all day under fluorescent lights, and then you would leave just as the sun was setting. I don't know if anyone else has that experience Monday through Friday for you, but that was like, man, this is kind of like uh, a little bit of the winter blues. Like, I am, I'm needing some... Uh, some sunlight, I'm needing some hope, I'm needing some fresh air. But one good thing about that time of year after Thanksgiving is that the Christmas lights started to come up. 
Uh, so I, I would enjoy seeing the Christmas lights and stores and neighborhoods and so forth. Uh, one, they're just pleasant to look at, look at, but two, because they marked uh, the season of something coming, something to look forward to, something to look forward to um, 25 days after December came. And so when we look at these prophecies, they're kind of like individual bulbs in a string of lights. Um, and the cool thing about uh, the Old Testament prophecies, there's about 61 that prophesy about the coming Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled them all. Uh, some mathematicians uh, wanted to do some probability tests of what would it be like for someone to coincidentally uh, fulfill just eight of these prophecies. Uh, and the number that they got was so astronomical, they explained it as if you took, uh, I think it was, let me get it right, if you took silver dollars and covered the whole earth in 120 feet high, and then you marked one of those silver dollars, and you said someone, okay, go find that silver, silver dollar. That's the equivalent of what it would be like for one person to fulfill even eight of the 61 prophecies. And so for me, I remember in college, I was trying to wrap my mind around some, some questions about faith and uh, doing some, uh, you know, reading books and apologetics and reading different things. And I was just like, like, I really wanted to prove that God was there. But I remember when I read that and I started reading the prophecies, it was like, wow, I don't have an explanation for that. I don't know what to do with that. And it kind of gave me this image of like, here I am trying to almost look down and evaluate God. And it was just like this moment of there is just so much that I don't know. There's just so much that's a mystery and so much that I want to know about God. So I hope as we go through this, um, that you guys will have a little bit of that, that wonder come out as well. And then, you know, also this, this passage gives us a beacon of hope, something to look forward to. Just like when you see the Christmas lights coming out, you know Christmas Day's coming. Gives us a beacon of hope that's even better than Christmas Day. Because I just want to acknowledge in this room, for all of us, it's not a warm, fuzzy feeling when the holidays come around. Sometimes it's something that uh, we know that we're going to have to see that family member that is difficult and you hope that you can get through it without a blow-up argument or, or something of that nature. Sometimes it's a reminder that, oh, this should be the happiest day of the year, but it is not. Uh, and we just kind of like get through it. So been there with you, understand that. So this gives a hope that's even better than the hope that uh, of a season of giving and a season of good tidings and joy. This gives us a, a real lasting hope to look at. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at Isaiah 11. Last week, we looked at Isaiah 9 about Jesus being the light that comes into our darkness. And in Isaiah 11, we're gonna see that Jesus is the light that brings healing. And this whole passage is gonna talk about Jesus as a king. And there's gonna be three different uh, themes that I want to uh, pull out of this passage. And these themes, these truths about who Jesus is, as we look at them and we really take them in, uh, I think they're gonna warm our heart and they're gonna, they have the power to transform us from the inside out. That sound good? Awesome. All right, well, before we jump in, I just wanna take a moment to, to pray, but we're gonna be in Isaiah 11, one through 10 is the passages we're gonna be in. So I uh, just invite you to pray with me. Lord, we um, are so in awe of what you've done, so much that we don't really understand or know, God, but uh, you make plain to us the way of salvation, God. You make plain to us that you love us, God, through Christ. And just through this passage, would you um, minister to people's hearts, God? Would you 
Would you fulfill needs, God? Would you feed us uh, from your word and would you change us from the inside out? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so this passage, just to set it up, uh, is, happens about 700 years before Christ is born. And at this time, uh, there is, uh, the people of Israel have completely turned away um, from their allegiance to God, and they've turned instead to false religions and idols. And as a result, God uses the imagery that because you've turned away, the consequences of your sin is that I'm gonna send in other nations to act like an ax and cut off the leadership in Israel. And so in a second, you're about to read about a stump of Jesse. That stump is what's left over of the leadership of Israel. So that with that in mind, let's read in verse one, and we're gonna read all the way through verse 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain." For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Amen. Okay, so the three things that I want to, um, to pull out for us to look at is uh, the king, the wisdom of the king is the first one. The second one um, is the justice of the king. And the third one is the healing of the king. So let's start with the wisdom of the king, the wisdom of the king. Now it says in verse one, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from its roots. So what does this mean? This is a picture of the hopelessness of the situation that there's no, there's no leader that's worthy of, of bringing us any kind of hope. And so there's just only a stump but the hope is that there's gonna be a shoot coming out from Jesse. And what they are referring to in Jesse is that there's gonna be a king like David. And in 2 Samuel 7, God makes a promise to David and says uh, that there will be a descendant on your throne forever. Well, how is this gonna come about when there's no Israel to speak of? Well, this is a prophecy that one day there is going to be one like David that's gonna come out of the ashes, so to speak, that's gonna come out of a cut down, uh, stump that's barely alive. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's foretelling of Jesus coming, Jesus being a king like David. And then it says that this king shall have the spirit of the Lord resting upon him. And there's, uh, in, 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 uh, in Samuel, it also talks about when David, the king, was anointed that the Holy Spirit rested on him. But this 
Spirit is a threefold description of the ways that the Spirit will rest on them. So if we look at those, it says that the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. So the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, it's like the foundation on which, uh, on which Jesus, on which this son of David, this shoot of Jesse is going to be able to, uh, to know God's will, to know uh, the origin of things. That word understanding means to get past the appearances and get right to the heart of things. And then it says that he has a spirit of counsel and might. Counsel is just another word for wisdom, but might means that he not only has the plans and the blueprints, but he has the power to bring them to be. So that's who our king is. And then we have the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And in the ways that Adam and Eve and all the descendants after it uh, were fallen uh, heroes, so to speak, that they could not actually live out faithfulness to God, that, that this king would actually have the spirit of the knowledge of the fear of the Lord, that he would walk out in holiness. And it says later, he will, he will delight in fear of the Lord. He will actually uh, have joy in, in walking in submission to God. So that's, that's just what it, what it, means, um, what it means for us. And, and that basically this, this king will be equipped to fill the earth with the knowledge of, with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's what this is saying. They will, they will fill the earth as waters cover the sea. And, um, you know, so how did Jesus, so you might pause for a second and say, well, Jews disagree that this was, was this really Jesus? And we can actually see from Jesus' own mouth that he's saying, yes, this is me. Uh, in Luke 4, uh, this is where Jesus starts his ministry. He's handed the scroll of Isaiah, and he turns to Isaiah 61, which is actually mirroring this passage. And uh, in Luke 4, it, it says this. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then check this out. And then Jesus says, he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on Jesus. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So he was saying, you know, for 700 years, they were waiting for this to happen. And he sits down and says, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, I am the, the, I am the shoot of the stump of Jesse. I am the son of David that's come. I am the one that the spirit of God rests on. So, and then you see throughout the scriptures, there's people calling out, son of David, have mercy on me. When he comes in uh, to Jerusalem um, and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, God in the highest, they're, they're calling him son of David. And so that's another way of saying, you're the king. You're the one that's gonna restore Israel. You're the one that's gonna come. So this is who Jesus is, which is awesome. But as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, man, if I was gonna fulfill this, in my mind, I would do this a lot differently. Um, I would, uh, you know, kind of images of parachuting in to like a Super Bowl stadium, um, except I wouldn't need a parachute. I could levitate and I could shine like the sun. You know, just like, there's all different sorts of things that like, like that's how we would do it. Uh, we would just show up and say, hey, like, this is, this is who I am. I've come to set things straight. You're welcome. You know, it's like, here I am. Um, but that's not how it came. And as I was thinking about entrances and, and, and G, the, this came coming, the honor that he's due, I was thinking of one of our favorite family movies, 
uh, A White Christmas. And in uh, A White Christmas, at the very end, there's uh, this general who's retired, General Waverly. And this general um, has kind of been forgotten after all that he's done for his troops. Um, and at the very end, they surprise him with an entrance. And so I think we actually have the video here. So we're going to take a moment to just take in the entrance that they give to General Waverly. Love that scene. Love that scene. It's, it's moving. Every time Amy, Amy and I, when my wife and I watch that at the end, we're like misty-eyed because there's something about it that's just like right. There's right to honor those who have gone before. And in the movie, it talks about how the general, uh, that the troops ate and then he ate, that the troops slept and then he slept, that he went first into the battlefield and then they were always behind him, and that this man was just worthy of honor. And in the same way that Jesus is worthy of honor, but he doesn't come in a way where he can uh, get the, the song, you know, we'll follow, you know, the old Messiah wherever he wants to go. Like, he doesn't get that. But what he does get um, is something quite odd. Uh, he decides um, that for his glory to reside in a, a barn uh, surrounded by urine and manure, and, um, and then uh, he's born into a poor family, a peasant family, uh, the, the people who come to visit him are shepherds, uh, who in that day, shepherding um, was considered work of a child. And so if you were still a shepherd at that point, uh, let's just say that you were looked down upon in society. You, your word and your testimony wasn't even taken in court. And so the, the people, he wasn't born around royalty. He wasn't born around um, any kind of importance or, or honor. And yet here is the king of kings. Here is the son of David coming to us. And so that just makes me think, what, about, what is the wisdom of this king? The wisdom of this king is different than the world. It's different than what we would have. Uh, I, I heard an example um, of uh, a strategic planning example that uh, if you've ever done um, projects of like, here's the end goal in mind, what are the steps we need to get there as a company, what I need to get there personally to get there. And if Jesus had a uh, end goal vision of restoring humanity that one day, that all of uh, humanity would know his name, um, that one day a fourth of the world uh, would center their entire lives around him. Civilizations would base their lives off his teaching, and his work would be the most important uh, work that anyone's ever done. Um, how would you plan to go about meeting that strategic, strategically? Uh, well, he uh, came at a time where um, he was born to a virgin, uh, out of wedlock to a carpenter, and then he lived in obscurity on the outskirts of Israel, pretty much hiding out 
for most of his life. And then once his career did take off, uh, as soon as it was taking off, uh, he was executed in disgrace and betrayed. You know, so it's like that, that would probably be bad consulting if I was thinking about, I don't know if that would be my plan, but the wisdom of God um, is foolishness to us. But to, but to him, uh, he, sees the, he sees the whole deal. He sees um, the beginning from the end. And so he knew that, the, that, that when, if he was to come in like General Waverly or, or come in and say, here I am, uh, I deserve your honor, I deserve your praise, and he does, he would know that there's still sin in our hearts. And we might serve him and we might sing and we might step in line because, not because we love him, but because we fear him. You know, it doesn't really have the same ring, like, because we fear him, you know, he, he'll kill us, you know, if we step out a lot. You know, it's like the holiness of God, and that is, that's so much of the religions of, of today, is that there are religions of wrath, which are really easy to understand, and that if you do good, you're rewarded. If you do bad, you're punished. Uh, good people, bad people. Most of the religions are based off that today, and this is not a religion of wrath alone. Uh, it's, it's a religion of, of love and grace that he comes humbly towards us. This is the wisdom of God for us. Does that make sense? In 1 Corinthians 1, 28 through 29, it talks about how God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring the nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast uh, in the presence of God. And just the wisdom of God that he would come uh, come as a baby because he knew that he, uh, he was coming to make a way for us to be reconciled in relationship to him because he needed to live that perfect life. And the things that did not make sense uh, to us at the time or did not come as expected um, that first Christmas that we sometimes glaze over because we're familiar with um, is something just to sit back and like, wow, the wisdom of this king uh, is breathtaking. And then the next... Um, theme we want to go into is the justice of God, the justice of the king. And this is from verses three through five. If you want to read along with me, it says, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Um, so what is this talking about? Uh, that he's going to be a God of justice um, that's going to not judge as what he uh, sees, um, but he's going to judge rightly. He's going to punish the wicked with the word of his mouth, and he delights in the fear of the Lord. Like his, his, his greatest joy, which is kind of interesting to think about, is to fear is to fear God, is to walk in reverence of him, is to know him and his holiness. And this is who Jesus is. And so how did Jesus fulfill this? How did he fulfill this prophecy? Well, one, we already covered it, is that he wasn't just the king to come and um, have compassion on the poor. He actually became poor. Um, he who was rich became poor for all our sake so that we might, um, so that we might become rich. Uh, and uh, he... Uh, laid his glory by, uh, born that man no more may die, as, as, it, says in, uh, uh, as it says in the hymn, um, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, that he laid his glory by. And so he was born in poverty. We know 
from scripture that whenever Jesus was brought to the temple after he was born, uh, his parents had to pay uh, for the sacrifice by giving pigeons as their sacrifice. And pigeons were basically a substitute if you weren't able to afford uh, a, proper, uh, a proper sacrifice like a lamb or a goat. So Jesus uh, himself didn't just have compassion and justice uh, on the poor, but he was poor himself. Um, and he came uh, as the lowliest of, uh, of man, that he, um, it says in Isaiah 53, about him being the shoot, about Jesus, it said, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so Jesus didn't just identify with the poor. Uh, he, he, I mean, he, he didn't just have compassion on the poor. He identified with the poor. And, um, and, he, and just as he wasn't just coming to give us a religion of wrath and said, you need to get in line because I'm the king, um, the other religion that we have, we breathe in every single day, is just a religion of kind of universal acceptance, that God is only a God of love and that kind of we all have uh, different ways that we worship him, but, um, but all kind of roads lead up the same mountain. Does that make sense? And here we see that, that the justice of God is something that he realizes I need to accomplish by taking that on myself, that there are sins, there are, there are debts to be paid that I know that I need to take on, and that this is the justice of the king, that he not only has compassion on the poor and identifies with the poor, but he uh, is a substitute for the poor. He's a substitute for you and me. And this has like implications um, as we think about this for ourselves and the justice of, of our own hearts, um, of, how we, uh, of how we treat and look at other people. It says in the, in the passage that he doesn't look and judge by mere appearances. Um, and then Jesus, in saying the very same thing in, in Matthew 7, 24, he's teaching and he's saying, you need to judge rightly and not by just mere Appearances. I think we have that scripture. Do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. So he was telling that to his church. He was telling that to his people. So this isn't only for Jesus. This is also for us. That as we think about the justice of God, think about the different ways that we might have uh, maybe things that we don't even realize, prejudices on the way that people look or pay that people think. Or, um, and we need to instead uh, look to ask uh, questions and find out the truth before we're quick to judgment. Uh, I was thinking when I went to um, the doctor for my shoulder injury a couple years ago, uh, I was thankful because um, this doctor asked me probably about 21 questions to try to figure out uh, what was wrong. But in asking him, he knew after like the third one what was wrong with my shoulder. Um, but he wanted to make sure that he wasn't missing anything. And I think in, in us, in our society, that's quick to make judgments, quick to 
backlash on whether it's a tweet or whether it's a Facebook post that we as a people of God um, need to be wise and not judge by mere appearances, but to, to really look in and ask further questions and explore that. And, you know, what, what, what is your source for that? And, and it also prevents gossip from happening within our midst, which in, can kill. And so there's some things that are attributes of the king that we get to, to take in and see um, that, uh, that have implications for our relationships and the way that we worship God. It also has implications for the way that we treat our neighbor. Um, and, and, and even uh, thinking about this, uh, there's a missionary uh, who's one of my favorite um, storytellers. His name's Dan Bauman. And at one point, Dan was in the Middle East and he was imprisoned in Iran. Uh, I believe it was Iran. And he uh, was imprisoned and day after day, uh, week after week, he was taken into a room and beaten um, because of his faith, because he was trying to spread the gospel in this country. And Dan was um, just feeling sorry for himself. Uh, Dan was in the lowest of the low, and God met him, though, in that cell. And God asked him a question through the Holy Spirit. He said, Dan, I want you to ask me what I think of this man, this person who would beat him day after day. And he said, I don't want to know what you think about him. But then God said, I want you to ask me. And he he asked him, God, what do you think about, about this man? And the, and the love of God for this man and just seeing uh, the man that beat him through the eyes of God just melted his heart. Um, and, and the compassion of God overwhelmed him to the point where uh, he got up the courage in that cell to say, uh, what's your name? And he asked his abuser his name. And he says, I want to be your friend. And the guy was taken back. He didn't know what to do. And he just got, he didn't beat him. He just walked out of the room. And, uh, and then that was it. And then a few days later, the guy said, you know, he told him his name. And he said, uh, I don't know how you're enduring what you're enduring. And I don't know what you have, but whatever you have, I want to know more about it. Um, and so the love of God that Dan had felt for himself was then uh, transposed onto seeing the love of God for this man, and it transformed um, It transformed the both of them. And this uh, abuser ended up giving his life to Christ in the cell, um, and then Dan was released later on. And I just, I love that story because it gives me a picture um, of how the justice of God and how him taking on our, uh, our sins and our burdens and the way that he loves people um, can transform us, can transform us as a, as a people, and that we, um, we as a congregation, uh, this Christmas, we have a king that is just and comes near to us, and he doesn't judge by just mere appearances. Um, yeah, but he judges rightly. Whew, okay, so then the next and last theme I want to look at is, uh, is the, the healing of the king, the healing of the king, and this one um, is a fun one, I think, to think about. Uh, and just imagine it coming to pass. Um, it says in verse six that the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf and the little child shall lead them. And it just goes on to describe this picture of, uh, of a world in which um, predators uh, are no longer preying on other people. And so there's, there's scholars that say that this represents the nation's that are destroying other nations, that they're dwell in peace. Um, but I also like to think that it's that, and it's actually that once in the fullness of uh, the reign of Christ, that there's actually be a new heaven and new earth, uh, where the, 
the basic function of nature even is going to change. Um, where, you know, parents can send their kids out to play and there's no qualifier of like, be careful, because it's like, oh, you know, you're playing with the grizzly bear and the lion and, you know, you're playing with the cobra and, you know, it's just like, it's, it blows my mind. I'll change my, exchange my golden doodle for a grizzly bear or a lion. You know, it's like, what, what kind of world is that? I don't even know what to, what to, what to think about that. But he says, like, the, the, the curse that happened in Genesis 3 with the fall, that he's going to eradicate that, and the, the knowledge of the Lord is going to fill the earth as the, as the waters um, cover the sea. And that that is a picture, that's a hope that we get to have that's lasting, um, that's ongoing, um, that's something that is, is better than Christmas Day, uh, you know, warm fuzzies. That's something that we as a people get to, get to look forward to one day, is that Jesus coming uh, in the fullness. And I explained last week how Christmas Day is kind of like the sunrise. It's the dawn of these things being fulfilled, but it's not happening yet. It's, it's not happening in its fullness yet. And that when it's at its noonday, um, <laughs> we're going to see him like, like he is. We are going to be with him. And so the, the greatest thing about heaven uh, is, is all the attributes of, you know, we, we will get to be with Christ, um, we will get no more sin, no more dying, all those things that are hard to fathom. But the greatest thing is that we're gonna actually be with Jesus. We're gonna be with Jesus. And, and, and that's really all that you need to tell me. Um, and just as we, as we close, like I was thinking about when I was in college and I was really trying to, um, I was really trying to grasp this and I was going on a jog around campus and I just had this thought of what if Jesus came back right now? And I remember as a kid that I would be playing in the backyard and the tornado sirens would come and I would think, is Jesus coming back right now? I would like look up and I was like, oh no, it's Wednesday. You know, they're, 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 they're playing. But I was like, I was, re- I was ready. My parents had like told me like, you know, cause I was like, what do I do when I die? They're like, well, you might not die. Jesus might come back. And so I had this thought as a child, but I'd forgot about it as an as a, as a older adult. And I just had this feeling though as I was jogging and thinking about Jesus coming back, that I was, I was not excited. And there was just like this, this shock to my system. I was like, I don't feel like I want him to come back. And it was a, a litmus test for me. I was like, well, why not? And I was like, because, you know, there's all these things that I want to accomplish, which were good things. But even more so, I realized that I was filling my life with religious activities of leading this and doing that and reading my Bible here. But I had lost the, the pure joy of just knowing and being with Christ. And, and that he, um, and actually I was afraid that if he saw me, that he would see, uh, he would see who I truly was and it would be repulsive. Um, and it just in that moment, I just felt like the eyes of Christ, which were like eyes of fire, just were like piercing me. And he was seeing everything. He was seeing the hidden sin. He was seeing, um, <laughs> you know, this, this king was seeing me for who, for who I was. And in that moment, it was just like he took all that and he said, my word isn't for you to go do more. My word for you is just to come. My word for you to come is, to, is to come and be with me. I know all you've done. I want you to come and be near me. And, and that makes me want to love him. That makes me want to sing. <laughs> I'll follow you wherever you go because I love you, because I love you, because of what you've done for me. And that's the king that we have. That's the king that we have, church. And that he is in that, even though that isn't something that he's fulfilled yet, in his second coming, he will fulfill it. There is a part of this passage that is fulfilled. 
that he is right now the signal for all the nations to come, and that his resting place is glorious, that we have the honor, church, of living in these days where we get to be a signal to all the nations of the earth um, that he is coming, that his resting place is glorious. And may we be a church that would, uh, that would just be captivated once again this Christmas with the light that brings healing and Jesus coming towards us. So the way we're gonna go to God is just, we're gonna have some time for you to reflect. Uh, I invite you to stand or sit, whatever you wanna do, and we're just gonna sing a song, Greater You, Lord, for what you've done in our lives, and greater You, Lord, for what you're going to do in the future. Well, I hope that encouraged you. If this message spoke to you, if God's doing something in your life, I'd love for you to send us an email and let us know. You can do that by just hitting reply on any of the emails you get from us. Wait, what's that? You don't get emails from us. Oh man, why don't you go to our website and you can sign up for our community newsletter. Once a week, you'll get updates on what's going on, what God is doing in our midst. And we would love for you to be a part. Uh, If you've enjoyed this series of podcasts, I'd love for you to go on iTunes and leave a review. It helps other people find out uh, about this stuff. Love you guys and we'll see you next week.